can be seated. Turn around and say hello to someone. And uh, then uh, take your seat. And thank you so much for coming out tonight. And thank you, each one, for tuning in. i uh, got a great, uh, great uh, uh, growth that's going on online, and we praise God for that as well. A soul winner for Jesus. Think about it. Think about it. Many Christians take false comfort in the fact that God is so gracious, and they think if they don't win souls, that somebody else will win them. And uh, I'm not here to argue that point, but each and every one of us needs to be in on the blessings that God has for us. I want to thank those uh, here who have uh, stuffed those packets. And uh, this Saturday, if the weather permits, we'll do doors. If it doesn't, we'll go indoors and do tracks. But we're going to do a record number either way. And uh, so we want you to come out either way. If it's rain, don't, don't stay home if it's raining, because if it's raining, we'll go indoors. And uh, if it's not raining, we'll stay out of doors, and we'll use that opportunity. So I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. We've had people in our services recently because we've gone door to door, and because we've passed out tracks, and we've invited people to come. One of the great uh, soul winners of the past, now in heaven, uh, at first was not a soul winner. In fact, he uh, went to a conference one time and was supposed to be the speaker on soul winning and evangelism. And when he went out on visitation, he did not know how to win a soul to Christ. And so the man who was going with him realized that this preacher did not know how to personally draw the net and lead a man to Christ. And so that week, his partner, get this, his partner led over 50 souls to Christ door to door. And it so shamed him that he went home and he learned how to win souls and became one of the great soul winners, one of the great teachers and trainers of soul winners. Praise the Lord. Uh, a man was once asked, what is, your, what is your purpose in life? What is your goal in life? And he said, to go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. Amen. That should be the goal of every believer, to go to heaven and take as many as we possibly can. We're in a campaign, and I trust that we'll do just that. There'll be more announcements after we go offline, but right now, I just want to welcome you and encourage you to take your Bibles. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I am reminded of Napoleon, who was leading his troops to the Alps. It was treacherous, and uh, they had to go in uh, very close quarters along those trails to the Alps, and there was a drummer who was drumming the beat to keep them moving so they wouldn't uh, slow down and freeze up, but as he was doing that, somehow that drummer slid over the edge and went down the precipice and, and fortunately uh, was on a ledge down below. But he kept the beat, kept the beat, kept the beat. Now he knew it would mean his own life. He kept the beat, 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 so that the rest of those men kept going along the Alps, got over the top of the Alps to go on to battle. But eventually when they were out of sight, the beat changed. It changed to the funeral dirge because he was beating his own. He was willing to die in the cause of Napoleon and his troops. And how much more, how much more worthy it is for us to give our life in the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen? And um, it, we may find ourselves beating a funeral dirge sometime in the future, but we need to be willing to go into all the world and to preach the gospel 
to every creature. Now, the first 15 chapters of 1 Corinthians are, are great doctrinal treatises, answers to questions, addressing problems that they had at the Church of Corinth. It was a, a group of immature believers, and they had a lot of problems. And Paul was, was answering their questions about a variety of subjects. And uh, you end up in chapter 15 on that, that great mountain peak uh, of uh, Scripture having to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the basis for our own resurrection and our rapture that's going to take place. And then, as someone has wisely said, uh, through the first 15 chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul's head and heart are up in the clouds in heaven. But you come to chapter 16 and his feet are solidly on the ground. Because getting the work of God done requires some shoe leather, requires are being uh, uh, engaged and committed to the work of the Lord. And the first few verses of chapter 16 begin now concerning the collection for the saints. That was very important business. Now this past Sunday we had missionaries. You, you received a tremendous offering for them. Thank you very much. And we've been engaged in a campaign recently to send Bibles. And you, you met a, a new high total. You, you reached a new goal. Set a new record. Praise God for you and for your giving hearts and, uh, and for your digging deep. And now we're engaged in another project to raise money to, uh, to repair and maintain the facilities of God's work here in advance of our 60th anniversary coming up so that, that all of uh, the exterior and interior of the building will be prepared for the folks that are going to come in and celebrate the goodness of God these past 60 years here at Central Baptist Church. And God bless you once again, whether it's for missionaries or for Bibles or to fix the facilities and to continue on for God, you've been good about stepping up and answering the call. This is shoe leather Christianity. I talked about this in some detail about the right way to receive an offering, the right way to give and receive an offering. And I recall through my growing up years seeing my dad and others receive offerings, both the regular and the special offerings. I recall going to conferences and, and they would call up some old icon, some, some old preacher, just to receive the offering, you know, and he would challenge the troops and, and they would get the offering. Here in the state of Virginia, I was asked once at a large gathering of Baptists to receive the offering and they said afterwards, Winnegar, we're going to have you do that all the time. We got a record offering. And that's all to the glory of God, to the credit of the Lord Jesus Christ and His people. It has nothing to do with us. But Paul is not shrinking from this important responsibility. There are people who don't go to church because they get offended when the preacher asks for God's people to give God's money that's in their pockets. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. That's part of the Word of God. Do You know that, that Jesus talked more about money than just about any other subject. And he talked about the talents. He wasn't talking about our abilities, though we apply it that way. He was talking about the investment of the money that God had entrusted to them. God wants us to give it in a godly way for a godly purpose and to see godly things accomplished. In this material world, that's how it's done. And I believe every believer ought to make provision for giving even when they're gone, at tithing of what they leave when they leave this world. You can't take it with you. Amen. All you can take with you are the souls that you've won to Jesus. You can't do anything else. Uh, we, want to, we want to send it on ahead. Amen. And so uh, he is speaking about this in the first four verses. 
the first four verses of this great uh, chapter, chapter number 16, as he concludes the first letter to the Corinthian church. Now we begin at verse number 5. He says, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. Now Macedonia is north of Greece. There is still a location known as Macedonia. It's the approximate location that it was in Paul's time. And uh, there uh, the, the church at Thessalonica was located in, and uh, Philippi. And these churches uh, were, were great, uh, uh, great examples of God's saving grace and of His, uh, of His children that had been saved and, and were growing up in grace, praise the Lord. And so uh, Paul is saying that he is going to go through that. He's giving his itinerary. And this is important. It's important for God's soul winners to have a plan, have a program. We need to be flexible enough to uh, divert the plan as may be necessary. Sometimes, um, sometimes something happens and, and we may be along the wayside or we may have to take a, uh, another route and it may not be exactly like we thought it was going to be and God will be in that too. And instead of moaning and groaning and, and complaining just wherever God takes us, that's where He's going to have a soul winner. That's where He's going to have a witness he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And then he outlines, starting in Jerusalem and then surrounding area, Judea, then the next area over Samaria, and then unto the uttermost part of the earth. God's got a plan and a program. We should have a plan and a program. We've got the names and the faces of missionaries out there on the wall in the, in the north hallway, and this is our hallway of heroes. And praise God for for the uh, missionaries out there. Now, little by little, they're getting grayer and older, and they're beginning to shut it down. Little by little, we need younger missionaries to step up. Uh, there are, right now, Brother Sturts told me, uh, he knows of, in his state, 10 good churches that have no pastors and no one to take those churches. I spoke with Dr. Treber uh, about three months ago. Dr. Treber told me, this, as I was asking him about a church vacancy, he knew about it out here on the East Coast. He said, Brad, I, I was friends with, I was roommates with him in Bible college, so uh, we're, we're on first name basis. But he said, Brad, uh, we, uh, we have on, on the desk right now the names and requests of 100 good independent Baptist churches across America that do not have pastors and there's no one to take them. We need young Men, of course, young women as missionaries and school teachers and workers for the Lord to step up. I, I blame ourselves and I blame others as well. I blame uh, some of those that say, well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not sure I want my... I've seen how preachers are treated, they'll say. I've seen how missionaries have to go without. I don't want my son or my daughter to have to go through that. Do You know that in 1853... Commodore Perry sailed into uh, the harbor there of Japan and opened up in 1853 a little recluse, uh, the nation known as Japan that had been closed for 250 years to the western trade. And so as, as they embarked, and then the next year, 1854, they uh, opened a treaty, the Harris Treaty. Some of you are familiar with it. And Japan that was under the, the, the shogun at that time, uh, the emperor is just a figurehead. The shoguns, the, the warlords, were in charge. 
And they didn't want Western thought. They didn't want Western culture. But it was opened up by treaty. And so the call went out to the United States of America. The call went out for uh, industrialists, commercial people, for educators, for scientists. And we answered with them. And the call went out for missionaries. And here's what happened. It's a matter of history. That the call went out to the West, to the United States of America, to send missionaries to Japan, and we did not. We did not. Parents were saying then what parents are saying now. Parents were saying, I, I don't want my children to go so many thousands of miles away and die there under difficult circumstances. And so that we didn't send missionaries. And as you know, that the Japanese imperial government began to build up and build up. You know this is true. And uh, went to war around the turn of the 20th century and won. They defeated the Russians. That, that did not bode well for what was going to happen after that. From the turn of the 20th century until into the 1920s and 30s, they began to buy up all the scrap metal from us that they possibly could. And we sold them all the scrap metal that we could spare. And they gave it back to us in December of 1941 in a little place called Pearl Harbor. And I believe there is a connection. When the people of the United States of America said, I don't want my children to go over there and die. I don't want them. Guess what? We gave up our sons and daughters. We paid the price. We should have sent missionaries. We should have sent soul winners for Jesus. There is no sacrifice that's too great for the cause of Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself for you and for me. And I'm telling you right now, we are suffering. The, the, the most powerful nation on earth, we, we know about our firepower, we know about our money and our strength in those ways, but it won't take any time at all for God to kick the slats out from under us and our and our economy to go away, and us to go to our knees. We are closer to a nuclear war than we've ever been. People don't even think about it. They say, don't talk about that. I don't want to hear about that. One day we're going to hear about it. We might not even see the flash or hear the roar when the missiles hit D.C. What I'm telling you right now is we need to be winning souls for Jesus. And if we're winning souls for Jesus... And if we're raising our boys and girls and teenagers and young adults so that they can go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, then we're going to, we're going to see history not repeat itself as we've seen in the past. Instead, we're going to see great things happen for God. I believe God can save anyone. I believe that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul says, I'm going to pass through Macedonia. He's given his itinerary. We ought to have a plan to go into all the world. We ought to have a plan to win our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, the people whose path we cross, get the tracks out. We're going to do it this weekend. We're going to do it this coming week and month for the glory of God. Amen. And he says in verse 6, And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that she may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, 
by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. That's our text. I want you to put a star next to that. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. A great door means an opportunity. Now if Timotheus come, that's Timothy, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Here we have a recommendation of his co-worker, his protege. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. That doesn't mean that uh, he was just arbitrary or flippantly saying no. It didn't work out in his schedule. But we need to keep the options open to do the work of God wherever and whenever we possibly can. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So did Paul. So did Timothy. So did Apollos. The workers of the Lord Jesus Christ do not uh, turn their back on the responsibilities and the opportunities that are laid open before them. I want you to see this now. This is only part one. I think uh, next week we'll take part two. But this is certainly the itinerary of the Apostle Paul. He had a plan. And we need to have a plan. The reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. That's the plan. We know what the power is. The power is, but ye shall receive power, dunamis. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. The word for power is the same as dynamite or dynamic, dunamis. Ye shall receive that explosive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses. Anything that we want to do for God, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to be guided and directed by Him. The only way we're going to reach this lost and dying world, it's not by technology alone, nor, it is by, nor is it going to be by sheer numbers. For the devil, the world, and the flesh have more workers than the Lord Jesus has today. It's going to be by the power of God. We need to pray His presence and His power, His blessing, and to claim His promises as we see here in this passage of Scripture. He's saying in verse number 9, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. This is a scripture about the opportunity to do what God would have us to do. Uh, take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians for just a moment. The book of Ephesians, we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 16. But in Ephesians, and uh, there in the final chapter, the sixth chapter, we see, of course, after the relationship between children and parents and parents and children and servants and masters, uh, all of those relationships and the fullness of the Holy Spirit that we saw back in chapter 5 and verse 18 are in view. But then it says in verses 10 through 20, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. And we read about this armor to stand against the wiles of the devil. And as we come down to the end of this passage of Scripture, in verse number 19, it says, And for me, Paul is saying this now on a personal note, And for me, what, what should you be praying for? That utterance may be given unto me, 
that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Didn't matter what his uh, human condition was, he was going to be an ambassador. He was chained. He was chained to a Roman soldier on either side during his imprisonment. And yet, he was not the prisoner. They were the, they were the, uh, the prisoners in the sense that they couldn't go anywhere. They had to listen to the gospel. And so many of the uh, Praetorian Guard, I mean the crack troops of Nero himself, were won to Christ. So much so that even some members of Caesar's household came to Christ because of the witness of the Apostle Paul. It's important for us to see that wherever we are, we're there by placement, by divine order and organization. God's got a plan for us to be there. So we have a plan. We have a program. We follow that plan. We're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of the Lord to go with us. We have the promises of God. And then we need to pray earnestly that we'll have what? Boldness. Boldness. How important is that? Go back to the book of Acts, if you would, please. Book of Acts, chapter number 4. Book of Acts, chapter number 4. Acts, chapter 4. In verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Alright, so we understand it's exclusive. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They didn't have a classical Jewish education in theology. They marveled and they took knowledge of them. Now what did they have? That they had been with Jesus. It was obvious that they'd been in the presence of the one who transforms us. They were before cowards. They were before uh, the shirkers of responsibility. Now they're stepping up to their responsibility. And the Apostle Paul is likewise saying he's going to step up to his responsibility. What is it that you have prayed about or what has God spoken to your heart about that you failed to be or to do? Where is it that you have stepped back and made excuse instead of going forward and doing what God said to do? There's somebody, perhaps within the sound of my voice tonight, viewing maybe online, someone who's going to view it in the future, who knows who he or she is. And God has laid His hand upon you and said, you're the one I want. I want you to go. I want you to witness. I want you to soul win. I want you to speak to your loved ones. I want you to win your neighbors. I want you to win the people whose path you cross and you haven't done it. For whatever reason, you've held back. And you know who you are. Then tonight I am the mouthpiece of God Himself. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are under conviction that we ought to be stepping up and doing as God has commanded, as God has led, as God is opening those doors. Please notice three things about the door in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. First of all, it is a great door. A great door. Mark that down. Number one, a great door. What do you mean by a great door? Well, the Scripture itself in cross-referencing says when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well and then afterwards 
uh, to his disciples at the well. He was saying that the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. It's a great harvest. It's a plenteous harvest. It's a harvest that by worldly human standards is so great that we would uh, faint dead away just thinking about it. Eight billion souls is a great harvest. There's no way that we can reach eight billion except by the power and the plan of God, the promises of God given to us in the Word and by prayer. If we will pursue what God has given us in the way of opportunities, we can reach them with the gospel. There are those overseas who've said for a certain amount of money we can go on radio or television and reach millions of people every time we preach. And I know for those who in the past have done that, they've seen great results. Uh, Just, Justice Banuel went on television and was reaching 50 nations, many millions of people. Uh, when he was on television, he would go record one day out of the month and then it would broadcast out of, I believe, the eastern part of India and across Southeast Asia and, and up into the mountains. And uh, he, he was getting uh, hundreds and even thousands of res responses back of those who had heard the gospel for the first time clearly and had been saved. We have the opportunity to use the technology that God has granted us and we want to use it every way that we can. It's a great harvest, so it's a great door, a great opportunity. Also, we do not know who we might influence in witnessing, passing a track, doing whatever we can. This past week, we were at a store, and as we were going in the store, uh, there was a young man that was seated uh, with his back to us. He was seated at a table, and I just tapped him on the shoulder, and I gave him a smile track and smiled at him, and then we walked into the store why, within seconds, he was right there. In fact, it was a little startling. And he, he, uh, he, wanted, uh, he wanted to thank us for showing an interest. You never know what you're going to catch when you throw that hook in the water. You don't know what you're going to get when you put that net in the water. But we want to do it just as surely as uh, if we did know. We, we know that, that God will give us the increase. We know that some plant and some water, uh, we know that God is the one who gives the increase. Uh, Brother Daquan was talking about this last Saturday. And see, I was listening. Somebody was listening. I was listening as he was giving his devotional challenge on Saturday morning. God gives the increase. That means we never know what's going to come of it. As we sow the seed, we know that some is going to go on good ground and some is not. But we know that which goes on good ground is going to take root and is going to grow and we know there are going to be results. We know that God's Word will not return void but will accomplish the purpose that God has for it. How many of you believe that? That We need to get the Word out. We need to get the Word out. This is why some of you have chosen to put those Bible uh, magnets on your, on your vehicles. And that's why some have put up uh, banners and signs of uh, scripture verses in their houses or on their houses. When we were in our previous ministry, there was a route that was kept of changing out signs and uh, 20, 30 places where they would change out the scripture every month or so 
And so they would rotate them from place to place. And they would have scripture verses out by the mailboxes or out by the front gate. So people driving by would see the scripture. I believe that God's word does a, a tremendous work in the hearts of people and convicts people. Uh, even those that preach on the streets. Brother Sutek is the granddaddy of all street preachers. Now missionary in the Philippines and, and um, talking about street preaching the other day as well. So there are some great doors, some great open doors of opportunity, and they're great because of the souls. And the cost is great. If we do not, if we do, not do it, then people will die and go to hell. And there's no way to recover that. There is no way. A person dies without Jesus Christ, there's no way to get them back. We can't pray them out of hell or purgatory. There's no purgatory. We can't pray them out of suffering. It doesn't work that way. What we do, we have to do now, the Scripture says, while it is day. Not, the night time cometh when no man can work. The night is coming for certain individuals. There are people, and as sure as I'm standing here, within the next few months or years, you're going to say, man, I'm so shocked that person's gone. Why, I just talked to him this week. You're going to say that about somebody. Somebody that you know is going to go out into eternity, and the question is, do they know Jesus Christ? And have we done everything that we can to lead them to Jesus Christ? We need to be soul winners for Jesus. There is a great door. Number two, it's an effectual door. That's a Bible term for effective. It's an effective door. The most effective plan is God's plan. Now, people are going to come up with other programs. They're doing it all the time. And all across America, there are certain trends within uh, church circles for building church or for making church popular or making it palatable or getting people to come try it out. And so they're going to say, you know, the, the thing we really need to do is we need to have a coffee bar in the front of our church when you come in. Now listen to me very carefully. Whether you do or don't, I'm not condemning that. But a coffee bar alone is not a replacement for the work that's outlined in the Bible. I think hospitality is wonderful. I think a smile, I think training all the greeters. I think that's wonderful. I, I believe having parking attendants is a wonderful thing. Uh, you talk about uh, different things that can be done for the children, for the teenagers, different programs and so forth. But the power of God, the presence of God, the program of God, prayer, uh, there's no replacement for that. God's plan of salvation cannot be replaced. You and I may do things to make ourselves less offensive, more pleasant, you know, a bigger smile, you know, don't act like you're some kind of crazy person, off-the-wall kind of nutty person. There are folks that do that, and they do that because they're nervous. You know, a lot of, a lot of back-slapping and glad-handing and, and um, teasing and joke-telling and so forth. But first-time guests don't need to be a part of that. That's going to drive people away. They're going to say, that whole church is a bunch of nuts. They're all crazy. Now listen, we have a good time when we're together, but we need to be very careful. That's why I tell people when we go out on visitation, don't be back slapping and telling jokes and, and laughing and, 
and, you know, big horse laughs and so forth when you're out on visitation. People will mistake that for you making fun of them or mocking them or laughing at them. You have to be professional. You have to be correct and proper and appropriate when you present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later on, you can be a little more friendly, but that's over time. What I'm telling you is there's a right way and a wrong way to do the work of God. We need to make sure that we give the very best scriptural impression for the cause of Jesus Christ. We're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you know that in different cultures, different things offend people? The way you say things, certain, certain uh, gestures in one culture might be perfectly accessible and, uh, uh, and perfectly acceptable, but in another culture it might be uh, considered to be a, a, a filthy affront. It might be considered to be in poor taste. And we need to know that when we're dealing with people. There are certain people who will uh, joke about themselves or about their own kind of person, whatever, wherever they're from or whatever. But you're not from that background, so you can't do that without offending them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to be very, very careful about how we come across for the Lord. We need to be professional. I can think back on times when I know for a fact somebody may have driven somebody out those doors just as quickly as they came in because uh, we were not appropriate or, or proper. I'm saying we collectively, and we need to be. That's very important. The most effective way to reach this world is one-on-one. -on -one. Mass evangelism is good. I have nothing against it. Numbers of people, I have nothing against that. But the most effective way to reach this world with the gospel, this lost and dying world, is one-on-one. -on -one. And you, you win them to yourself by not being offensive, by being friendly. And then in a short space of time, you ask the appropriate questions and you, you learn the proper way to present the plan of salvation so that it will be the, the most conducive to them to accept it. Don't make it hard. People think it's only a genuine decision for Christ if we make it really, really, really hard and, th and then they get saved. Whoever told you that? You know, you need to go back to the preschool of soul winning training and learn that as the Ethiopian eunuch, a learned man was traveling and trying to read a scroll of Isaiah, which is like the gospel of the Old Testament. There's Philip the deacon. He's just come from a revival in Samaria. The Samaritans, we're talking about not Jews, but they're sort of uh, first cousins to Jews, but they're Gentile blood. And he's just come from that. The Lord transports him there along the way going down to, to Gaza. And here comes the chariot. Now, it's one of those huge numbers. I mean, probably he had a driver. He couldn't be reading and driving at the same time. But uh, he's reading that scroll. And, and uh, Philip goes to him and says, Understandest what thou readest? And he says, how can I accept some man to shall guide me? That's the key. That's the key. That's why God has made us humans 
soul winners. Those that have been saved. We're saved to save another. That's it. God uses the, the work, the channel, the tool of the Christian to bring another to Christ. That's it. Otherwise, we just take a recording device, put it up here on the podium, and we'll all sit out there and listen to somebody read the Scripture. That's not it. God wants us to be His representatives, His ambassadors, His vessels. Amen? That's it. So Paul is saying, there's a great door. There's an effectual door. It's the old paths, old-fashioned, one-on-one, soul winning. Lead them to Jesus Christ. Draw the net. Not only a great door and an effectual door, but it's an open door. And that means it's open now, but it's going to close later. In the early 1990s, praise God, the Soviet Union fell. We prayed for that. We prayed for that for 70 years. It fell. And the door opened up. And some brave and wonderful, independent, fundamental Baptist missionaries went in. Dr. Jim Vineyard sponsored a bunch of them. He came to our church and he said, we've been taught to go through the Roman road. One, two, three, four. I mean, just like that. You know, there's four things you need to know. You can't do that. They've been living in a spiritual vacuum for seven decades. You can't do that. He said sometimes it takes 50 or 100 verses. They have no concept of the true spiritual nature of the universe. They have no concept of God. They've been under communism. Communism is godless, atheistic collectivism. This country is galloping toward that. We need to do everything spiritual on our knees that we can and everything that we can in terms of our apologetics to stop that race for collectivism. Socialism is communism without the gun to the head. It's one step away from communism. We need, we need to remember that. I was asked today about, about uh, democracy and, and um, capitalism. And I said, well, let's define our terms. There are non-Christians who are capitalists. The Chinese who are communists want to become more capitalistic. Capitalism is not by itself virtuous. But when Christians are diligent and Christians are living out the Word of God, they make very good capitalists. It's not capitalism driven by greed, but it is capitalism driven by biblical principles of hard work and diligence by the sweat of our face, as the Scripture says. So I was, I was clarifying that. But uh, we need to be careful. I am, I am apolitical. If somebody asked me what my political affiliation is, I would tell them I am a conservative Bible believer. But I am not going to be stuck to any political party because there are as many unbelievers in either political party. They need Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, your politics are just that. They're nothing more. 
It's an empty bag of bones. There's no life in it. We've got to have Jesus Christ. So whatever your political affiliation, you need to get those folks saved the Bible way. Amen. We want, we want the presidents and justices of the Supreme Court and senators and representatives in the House of Representatives and all of our local and statewide offices to be filled by born-again Christians. Amen. Amen. That's where our desire needs to be. It's an open door. Soviet Union fell. All of a sudden, people were open and they were walking 20 miles to get a free Bible. Walking in the frozen part of the winter. I mean, walking to get a Bible. They never had one that they could get free like that. Prior to communism falling in Soviet Russia, Christians would meet in secret in warehouses and underground in basements and hundreds of them would meet together by candlelight and they would have one Bible or a part of a Bible handwritten in their language. That's it. Now they were getting Bibles. Now they were having campaigns and many souls were coming to God. But Dr. Vineyard sounded a warning. He's now in glory and he knows he's right. Here's what he said. You better hurry. That door could close just as quickly. They could make it illegal to start churches. They could make it illegal to preach. Could happen just as quickly. Now, there are laws that are godly and there are laws in this world that are ungodly. And we do not, by nature, want to come off as being lawbreakers. But there is a higher law. We ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. When it comes right down to it. And so when there's an open door, we ought to go through it. There was a time when we smuggled Bibles into those restricted areas. Praise God for that. When it becomes an open border for us to take Bibles in, we should do that in great numbers because that border could close again. That's what I'm saying. A great door and effectual is opened unto me. It's personal. When God says, I want you, He means you. It's not, who me, Lord? Remember when Gideon was out threshing, hiding behind the wine press? You remember that? He was out there hiding, and, and the call came, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. He was a coward. God was seeing him potentially, as he could be if he let the Lord have his life. A mighty man of valor. He was not a mighty man of valor until the Lord took over. Prior to that, he was a coward just like anybody else might be. We have a great door, an effective door. It's an open door unto us personally right now. And notice, and there are many adversaries. We can start listing, list, listing the obstacles and they are not few. They are many. They are many. There are those today who will not go because they anticipate it's going to be difficult. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. Keep on going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't let the heat of the day, the toil, the ups and the downs of the road, the journey, uh, discourage you and cause you to want to give up and quit. Instead, we need to have that 
holy stick-to-itiveness. Stick-to-itiveness. I'll spell that for you afterwards. We need to have that. The adversaries are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they'll come at you in great fury. And they will make it seem as though it will be easier, better, if we just let up for whatever reason. Don't let up. Don't ever give up. Right now, they're in the midst of the NCAA, uh, the basketball tournament, the annual championship that will come down finally, the final four and the final two, and they'll play. And I'll tell you this, most often the one that wins is the one that doesn't quit, doesn't give up, just keeps going in spite of it. Somebody's got a pulled muscle, somebody's got an injury, somebody's got a player that's becoming ineligible, but they keep on going, they keep on going, they keep on going. They have a unified purpose, they have a plan, they stay focused. And I know that's just in the human realm, and that's just that's playing a, you know, just playing a kid's game for a bunch of grown-up kids. I understand that. But to them, they're deadly serious about it. The same thing is true in battle. The, the army that keeps on going is the one that will win. I'm talking about... In any effort, whether it's business, in, in commercial enterprise, those who keep on going are going to achieve. They're the ones who are going to win. And those of us who keep on winning souls and keep on going and keep on going and keep on going, we have found this to be true. If you keep going to the designated time and maybe a little beyond, you have a huge percentage, a huge increase of folks that come to God the last 15 minutes, the last 20 minutes, the last 30 minutes. You get more positive results those last few minutes because you didn't give up. You didn't quit. You didn't stop. God's got some wonderful blessings for us. And I don't know what it is that He is saying to you, but I know what He's saying to me. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep on going because there is a great door and effectual and open, and there are many adversaries, but keep on going, keep on going. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart through the Scripture. Slip your hand up high. He spoke to my heart. Amen. Let's keep on going, keep on going. Amen. And right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's... Calling Him right now, Lord Jesus, come in my heart and save me. Take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer, come and let us know. If you desire baptism or membership, come and let us know. If you want to come and pray for someone, I'm going to ask you right now to stand where you are with heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm going to ask for our invitation hymn. Number 500, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Won't you come if God spoke to your heart? To come and pray and nail something down, won't you come?
playing, say amen. Amen.